You are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021. I'm Claudio Mendoza, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Tonight, following NPR News headlines and the California Report, we'll look at regional headlines and weather. Then, Paul Emery talks to hydrogeologist Steve Baker about rain and how this month's numbers compare to last year's. We'll close our newscast with a commentary from Mark Cunaberti. For their support, we thank Serenos at Main Street of Grass Valley, serving Italian cuisine since 1983. Reopening when safety conditions allow with customized private dining spaces called Snugs. Prioritizing customer safety when dining in Nevada County. Serenos at MainStreet.com And Ola Tortilla, offering homemade organic tortillas and tamales utilizing locally sourced ingredients and products, along with imported food products and gifts from Oaxaca, Mexico. Located next to Food & Juice in Nevada City or at olatortilla.com. Here are tonight's NPR News Headlines. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. President Biden says the U.S. should have enough vaccine for every adult in America by the end of May. NPR's Tamara Keith reports it's an acceleration of the timeline. FDA approval of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine means there are three effective COVID-19 vaccines now available in the U.S. And President Biden has invoked the Defense Production Act to help speed up production and distribution. A few weeks ago, he was talking about vaccines available for every adult by the end of July. Now? This country will have enough vaccine supply, I'll say it again, for every adult in America by the end of May. By the end of May. That's progress. And while that news is good, Biden said he is worried variants could lead to setbacks. He urged caution and mask wearing until more people are vaccinated, even as some states loosen their rules. Tamara Keith, NPR News, the White House. And Texas is one of those states easing regulations, the state the largest yet, and a mandatory mask requirement put in place last summer to slow the spread of the virus. The rule had only been loosely enforced, and today Republican Governor Greg Abbott said Texas will soon be doing away with it entirely. Individual safety is managed every day as a matter of personal responsibility rather than by government mandate. The new rule there takes effect March 10th. Governors nationwide are starting to ease coronavirus restrictions. Despite warnings from health experts, Mississippi is also lifting its mandatory mask rule. A bipartisan group in Congress is introducing a bill that would allow Puerto Rico to become a U.S. state. NPR's Greg Allen reports it follows a referendum last year in which a majority on the island voted in favor of statehood. The House bill has 50 co-sponsors from both parties. It sets up a process for Puerto Rico to become a state, giving the island two senators, four members of the House, and allowing its citizens for the first time to vote for president. Governor Pedro Pierre Luisi says in a November referendum, a majority of Puerto Rican voters said they want the island to become a U.S. state. And now, again, a clear majority, almost 53 percent, chose statehood for Puerto Rico. It is Congress's responsibility to respond to that vote and to offer statehood. 
Past attempts to grant statehood to Puerto Rico have failed. Some leading Republicans oppose statehood, and some Democrats want Puerto Rico to first hold a convention on the island's political status. Greg Allen, NPR News, Miami. Neera Tandon has withdrawn herself as a nominee to head the Office of Management and Budget, marking a major defeat for President Biden in terms of nominees. White House making the announcement, Biden saying, quote, I've accepted near attendance request to withdraw her name from nomination for the director of Office of Management and Budget. He goes on to say he looks forward to having her serve in a different role in the administration. On Wall Street today, the Dow was down 143 points. The Nasdaq fell to 130 points. This is NPR. Rental car company Hertz, which was among the first major corporations to be knocked for a loop by the coronavirus pandemic with a virtual halt in business travel, says it may sell a controlling stake in the company to two investment firms. Hertz filed for bankruptcy protection last year. Under an agreement announced today, Knighthead Capital Management and Sartaris Opportunities would have the opportunity to buy the entire company for $4.2 billion. The company that publishes Dr. Seuss books for children is announcing it will stop printing six titles. NPR's Neda Ulbi reports those books have been criticized for racist representations of black and Asian people. Among the titles are If I Ran the Zoo and To Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street, which you can see plenty of people reading aloud on YouTube. Suppose that I add a Chinese man who eats with sticks. The picture that goes with this part of the story is also a racial caricature. To Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street was published in 1937. It was the book that made Theodore Geisel famous, writing as Dr. Seuss. March 2nd is the author's birthday. To commemorate it, Dr. Seuss Enterprises issued a statement saying the books, quote, portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong. Neto Ulibi, NPR News. Former White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany has landed following the election loss of her old boss, former President Trump. McEnany will apparently be taking a job at Fox News, where, according to a network host, she'll be an on-air commentator. McEnany is the latest former Trump official to join the network, founded by media mogul Rupert Murdoch. In January, Fox announced Larry Kudlow will be joining the network. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Governor Gavin Newsom and state legislative leaders say they have an agreement that could restart in-person learning for the state's youngest students. The deal hasn't been universally embraced. We'll have more on that in a moment. But first, KQED's Guy Marzarati explains how the proposal would work. The plan announced on Monday aims to get kids back in school this month by offering districts a really big carrot. This is a $6.6 billion commitment. Governor Newsom is floating the money for districts who bring back kindergarten, first and second grade. We incentivize opening up our schools by providing real resources to do it. We expect that all of our TK to 2 classrooms open within the next month. Older elementary school students would return when their county falls into the red coronavirus tier. The plan outlines a more hands-off approach for the state government than previous proposals. The state is setting aside vaccines for teachers, but it won't require inoculations. Many school districts still have to bargain with their local union, but the state is not requiring it. And if coronavirus rates decline, the state won't make districts test students and staff. Troy Flint with the California School Boards Association says there's nothing wrong with the state getting out of the way. I think the chances of seeing many more California students in school in the 2021 school year are much brighter now uh, than they were two days ago. 
The legislature plans to vote on the reopening proposal on Thursday. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. California's largest local teachers union, United Teachers Los Angeles, is blasting the plan. Here's UTLA President Cecily Meyer Cruz speaking at a news conference last night. If you condition funding on the reopening of schools, that money will only go to white and wealthier schools that do not have the transmission rates that low-income black and brown communities do. This is a recipe for propagating structural racism. The union is still bargaining with LA Unified on a safe way to go back to school in person. Union members are voting this week on the conditions that would be necessary for them to return to the classroom. Well, the city of Los Angeles has reached a settlement with a skilled nursing facility accused of dumping residents to take in more lucrative COVID-19 patients as a way of bringing in more money. Here's L.A. City Attorney Mike Fewer at a news conference yesterday. The settlement is our second lawsuit against Lakeview Terrace in two years. And the fact that we have sued twice in two years should demonstrate the tenacity that we intend to bring to protecting our most vulnerable residents. The settlement requires Lakeview Terrace Skilled Nursing Facility to pay $275,000 in penalties and implement a number of changes, including doubling the number of nurses on site and installing a performance monitor to make sure the facility is following rules and regulations. As millions of older Californians clamor for the COVID-19 vaccine, many are feeling frustrated and left out by the appointment process. CAP Radio's Scott Rod has that story. The vaccine appointment system is built around a website called MyTurn. The site is intended to streamline the process and answer common questions. But many seniors don't have broadband at home, and access to public places with internet, like libraries, remains limited. Joe Hayes is a research associate at the Public Policy Institute of California. Statewide, 20% of seniors don't have access to broadband at home. By demographics, for instance, uh, access we found is lower among uh, Latino seniors. In rural areas, it's it's 30% that lack uh, access to broadband at home. Hayes says the state may be able to use recently allocated federal funding to bridge the digital divide among seniors. California is also offering an appointment hotline in multiple languages to help reach people without internet access. That number is 833-422-4255. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. A new study from the California Policy Lab looks at unemployment benefits Californians are getting at a county level. It shows that regions with populations who need the most support and who've already been harder hit by COVID-19 are less likely to get help. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin explains. 
According to the study, people in counties with higher median household incomes are more likely to get unemployment benefits. On the flip side, says UCLA economist Tilvon Walker, Those who are poorer, those who have less access to broadband, those who are Hispanic, are consistently less likely to get unemployment insurance, or UI. There's always a suspicion that was true, but this really puts an important clarity to it, that UI, as many other social programs, is less accessible to those who need it most. Von Wachter says the state already has the data to identify which Californians are eligible for unemployment but aren't applying and reach out to them directly. Above and beyond fixing access issues related to broadband and computer access or to language issues. And when I read these results, I see, I see an opportunity. And, and, you know, I really hope the state is going to move to take that opportunity. In the meantime, we know too well that even Californians who have active unemployment applications are often left without resources. As of late last week, the backlog at the state's unemployment department was still over a million people. For The California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. And that is The California Report for this Tuesday, March 2nd. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Make sure to check out our podcast and subscribe wherever you get yours. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. The union is reporting that the man suspected of operating a butane honey oil lab in an apartment on Sutton Way in Grass Valley remains at a regional burn center. The man and two juveniles sustained significant but not life-threatening burns after an explosion lifted part of the roof off of his apartment. The investigation is still ongoing, but the man is facing multiple felony charges when he is released from the trauma center. And according to the Sacramento Bee, A new bill introduced by Assemblyman Bill Quirk of Hayward aims to prevent employers from using past evidence of cannabis use, such as hair or urine tests, as justification for discrimination against an employee, such as denying or terminating employment. Hair and urine can be used to show that a person has consumed cannabis in the past, but not whether they are actively intoxicated. The proposal is not intended to prevent employers from using something like a blood test to see if an employee has THC in their system, a sign of recent cannabis use. And taking a look at the weather, in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 41. Wednesday, partly sunny with a high near 62. In the Truckee, Lake Tahoe region, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 22. Wednesday should be partly sunny, with a high near 48 degrees. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, partly cloudy, with a low around 43. Tomorrow, partly sunny, with a high near 71. According to the U.S. Drought Monitor, 85% of California is in some state of drought. Paul Emery talks to hydrogeologist Steve Baker about this year's rainfall amounts. 
This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Well, welcome back, Steve. Oh, great to be here. Oh, very simple first question. Where did all the rain go? Ah, I wish I could tell you. <laughs> so far on, on Banner Mountain uh, for this February, we're now we're into March 1st, uh, this February we had about 5.3 inches of rain in February on Banner Mountain. So that's really not the best. Uh, 2020, though, if you look back a year ago in February, nothing. Zero. 2019, Back in the day, uh, a couple years back, February, 22 inches. We have high variability here in California of rain. And, uh, and, then, and then I wanted to also look at March. You know, so what, what might we expect this year? Right? Well, in 2020, we had about a little over 7 inches that came in in March. And in 2019, we had about 8 inches, a little bit more than 8 inches. So it's not an, if, if we have those amounts this year, it's not enough to make a huge difference, but it certainly will help. So I'm... I mean, I'm hoping that, that that will happen. I'm hoping that we could have possibly a miracle march. That's always in, in order. The Federal Drought Monitoring Program, they are now classifying that 85% of California is a moderate to exceptionally uh, exceptional level of drought. So we are, we are in a drought, everybody. And that means in their, in their uh, calculations that almost 27 million Californians are in drought right now. Okay, that's where we sit. We have 40 million people in the state. Snowpacks at 66% of normal. Um, we, of course, always hope for more than that. Lake Tahoe water levels, they're looking good. They're looking normal. But then you look at all the other reservoirs in California, and they're all below normal. So, uh, you know, it's not the best report. And, and to, to top that even, we have the evaporative demand, which is the amount of evaporation caused by heat. Uh, the humidity and so forth, uh, it's above normal throughout the entire West. So that that's, aggravates the problem even more. Well, this is probably making the market for new water um, pretty um, excited, I would think. People are going to be looking for more water, right, yeah, Steve? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that. If you look at the South Coast communities in California along the coast, you would see uh, water agencies from... Carpinteria to Galetta, they're spending millions of dollars buying up surplus water. So, yeah, there's a market, all right, that's for sure. Last Tuesday, the water managers serving uh, Santa Maria, Guadalupe, Santa Barbara, Galetta, and so forth, uh, they are asking the county board of supervisors to grant them the right to sell their state water allocations outside the county. Uh, not forever, but for a long piece of time, and that's, that's become a bit of an issue over there. Do they have a, a lot of extra water in those areas? They must if they want to sell it. Well, I mean, I, we've talked about this before. I th think back to when we were in our last drought. That was like 2012 to 2017. Santa Barbara and Montecito, they, they built a $72 million desal plant. Okay, now it's up and, and going. And that means that they don't uh, need very much water anymore, at least the, the imported water. They don't need that much anymore. And so uh, uh, they're not looking outside the county for, for more water. So what are they going to do with all that water? The sore spot is that there are eight water agencies that make up the Central Coast Water Authority that operate the pipelines, and they want to move, move water to these outside areas, but, but the county controls those conduits, okay, that, that uh, conveyance. And according to the contract that the county has everybody tied into, 
they are not allowed to send any water that's for sale to other counties. They're not allowed to do that. They can only exchange state waters. It's, it's caused quite a problem. And the South Coast water agencies are even now still on the hook for paying back the water that they had used years ago uh, during some of these drought uh, uh, emergencies. Pretty, pretty complicated. It gets very complicated. Um, well, how can this be resolved? Well, one of their supervisors down there, Steve uh, Lavagnino, I, I can't say his last name very well, but he's a Italiano, and he's, uh, he said uh, that let's try uh, first right to refusal. You know, those people within the county get first dibs on the water that might be available. And then if nobody is asking for it, then go ahead and sell, you know, get, you know, sell it outside the county. So they're, they're considering that, and we will see. How about uh, locally? Do you think this topic will come up in our county? You know, maybe. Maybe. I mean, dewatering the local gold mine, you know, the one off of Bennett Street we always hear about, um, that has the potential of conveying a lot of uh, groundwater that's going to be coming out of the ground to outside areas of our county. I mean, how does that sit with everybody? That, that may be an issue. And then, of course, there have always been periodic conversations that come up regarding the sale of surplus water of NID that NID has to downgradient cities. Uh, an example would be Lincoln. I know they are in the district, at least in parts of Lincoln, but there are other areas, too, that, that are not, and it's outside the county. So, yeah, it, can, it most certainly can uh, come up here, too. We do have these kinds of transfers. It, it seems to make sense to me that, that the counties that the water originates uh, needs to always stay whole, you would you would hope, always have enough water. And then uh, once our water needs are met, then, of course, we send the surplus elsewhere. Thank you, Steve. You're welcome. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at stevebaker at operationunite.co. We close with a commentary by Mark Cunaberti. Welcome to another edition of Your Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. Stock market pulled off hard last Thursday, and the reason is believed to be a spike in interest rates. Although it is thought by many the Federal Reserve controls all interest rates, they actually control only one part of the interest rate arena called the overnight discount rate. This is the interest rate the banking sector pays to borrow money for overnight operations. These overnight loans are a mainstay of the banking system. Banks borrow huge amounts on a daily basis, while other banks deposit excess money into the same pot. Think of this overnight facility as a huge octopus taking in money and then handing it out every moment of every day, all to fund banking operations, which keeps the economy functioning. The rest of the global bond market, however, and its interest rate is not controlled by the Federal Reserve simply because it is worldwide and encompasses way too much money. Think of it as a much larger octopus which operates worldwide. What is the bond market? First of all, bonds are simply IOUs. There is a lender and a borrower like any other loan. The financial sector calls them by many names to confuse you. When a city borrows money, it's called a municipal bond. 
When money is borrowed for a house, it's called a mortgage. When the U.S. government borrows money, it's called a bond, or maybe a treasury or even a treasury bill. No matter what the name, it's all just debt. There are all sorts of bond markets, from corporate bonds to mortgage bonds and all types in between. Much of the world's bonds are publicly traded in the bond market. The rate is to compensate the lender for loaning the money. The riskier the borrower, the higher the rate is paid by the borrower to the lender. The U.S. government might pay a very low rate to borrow money, while a financially strapped company might pay a much higher rate. Higher rates are also paid commensurate to how long the loan will be. The longer the loan, the higher the rate usually is paid. When things are calm in the world economy, rates remain fairly stable or may even fall. When investors become worried about something, however, rates will generally start rising. When they rise quickly, it can signify the onset of a panic, or at least the fact that something is spooking market participants. A worrisome world or economic event that threatens the stability of the financial environment can cause rates to spike. But the most common cause for a rate spike is a concern that inflation will start to accelerate. As detailed in a previous Money Matters media presentation called A Look at Inflation, I detailed how the creation of too much money by a government can cause monetary inflation. Monetary inflation is the most insidious type of inflation and can be the most damaging to an economy. Trillions of dollars have been created for the COVID-19 rescue and bailout packages by the U.S. government and indeed governments everywhere. It's no surprise that because of this fact, the bond markets may be sniffing out coming inflation and perhaps a lot of it. Inflation is the loss of purchasing power of a currency over time. When the bond markets think inflation is coming, interest rates rise as lenders require higher interest rates to compensate for the loss of purchasing power, which will be caused by that very same inflation. When rates do rise, investors fear that the copious amounts of money currently flooding into the stock markets will slow down. Money will become tighter, harder to get, and more expensive to borrow, and that will eventually cause a pullback in stocks. The stock markets, therefore, always look ahead, and then the selling begins. If the rate creep turns into a quick jump in rates, stock market sell-offs can intensify, which is what might have occurred last week. Only time will tell if the event was a one-off scare or the start of something more insidious. Be careful out there. That does it for today's Money Matters. Keep in mind the opinions expressed here are my own and do not necessarily reflect those of any media outlet, this station, its staff, management, or underwriters. This newscast is not meant as investment advice. Consult a qualified financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. I hold California Insurance License, OL34249, and I'm a Medicare-approved agent in the state of California. My name's Mark Cunaberti. Thanks for listening. That's our newscast for this evening. Coming up next, Educationally Speaking. Tonight's topic, school sports for spring of 2021. At 7 p.m., we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. You've been listening to the KVMR Evening News on KVMR-FM Nevada City. If you'd like to hear this or any of our other newscasts, you can do so on our website, 
or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks for supporting Community Radio. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a good evening.